Good morning, everybody. It's the season of Advent, as Scott was saying, and so we actually want to make that our focus this morning. I want to start by saying um, thank you to those of you that had an international student for Thanksgiving. We had 59 students in 25 homes this year, so can we, those people that did that. And um, somebody asked me that we not keep this picture up too long so we don't like stare at him. He's in the back right over here. Uh, ben, and, but I, I don't know, we might spend the next 20 minutes meditating on, <laughs> on that smile, pondering. <laughs> no, if what's really cute is Lon now, I could show you like five pictures in a row where he did some pretty goofy faces. So, uh, but for all of you that did that, we appreciate it because um, it does make a difference. It's a way of, of putting hands and feet to Jesus' love for the nations that God has brought here. Um, we are going to focus this morning on the Advent, and um, I'm really wanting to help center us for this season, so can we take a minute to pray? I, I would like us in some quiet to just open our own hearts to what the Spirit might have to say to us today as we enter this Advent season. Lord, we want to be open to your spirit in whatever way you want to speak to us today. And my only request is that you would let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, uh, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. And we pray in the name of Christ, amen. Uh, yeah, I just actually heard recently that there was an old preacher who, uh, who said this about his sermon, and I'm going to start this way, and this is what he, I'm just quoting him. Uh, he said, my last sermon had 12 points, therefore today's sermon shall be pointless. <laughs> I, if you've been around my preaching much, you probably understand, I mean, the 12-point thing or the, hopefully this won't be pointless. Um, I, do, I want to talk today about the Advent conspiracy, the conspiracy that Jesus started and that the, we are to be a part of. Um, would you not all agree that Christmas has become too commercialized? Would you not all agree with that? Um, thank you. We could use some more of that. Uh, I was, we were in Indiana with Pat's family and her uh, stepfather, just watching commercials, just talked about how it's so commercialized. Just this week, somebody said to me, it used to be, I would say, can't they wait till after Thanksgiving? Now it's, can't they wait till after Halloween, right? Um, I just was in Grapevine, Texas, the other day uh, for a funeral for my aunt, and I had not been to the down, through the downtown of Grapevine in a long time. It's where my dad went to high school. But Grapevine, as you can see, is the Christmas capital of Texas, and I walked around the downtown, a really cool downtown, 
Um, but what you saw was, is the point of Christmas, if you saw this, was commercialization and consumerism, right? The only place there was a nativity scene was at the, actually the funeral home where the funeral was, and that funeral home is owned by a Christian family. So they were trying to represent Jesus um, in the middle of all of this. And I think the thing that we all, our culture struggles with, that we all struggle with, is that the true meaning of Christmas is obscured, right? It's muted. Here's why I'm so emotional. I grew up unchurched, okay? I grew up in a culture with churches and hearing about Jesus, but I had no clue of what Christmas was about growing up in this culture because this kind of stuff muted the message of Jesus, okay? That's what we live in. That's what we breathe. That's what we swim in, and that's the kind of culture that actually kept me from knowing my Savior in the middle of Christmas that I, I didn't even understand what the point was. Okay, and we know that's true, and um, if it's true if just of people in the culture, don't you think it's also a little bit true of us, that all of the stuff that goes on can mute the true meaning of what Scott was talking about in our own hearts and lives? Do you think that's possible? I mean, I know it is in my own life. Um, you know, we could talk about the roots of the consumerism that our culture's in, and that's kind of one of the main themes today is we live in a hyper-consumeristic culture. I could talk about the roots, Industrial Revolution, how mass production started. They began advertising to get, rid of, to, to get all those products out. Wholesale catalogs became, those of you who are more my age or older, you remember this. Every year, couldn't wait. This was the highlight of the year for me, Christmas season. This is what Advent was about, was getting that Sears catalog, and we'd go through it, and it was very effective because... Our little Alco in Hayes, Kansas had a small toy section, but this had stuff that was not in Alco. And we'd go through that thing, and we'd circle a hundred things, and we'd rip out those pages and hand them to our parents. And it generated in us a need for something that we didn't even know we had a need for until we saw the catalog. So, I mean, that's just how the consumeristic culture works. Um, marketing has developed so much that that's their whole goal is to generate in us needs for things that we really don't need, a feeling of need and branding, and I could talk all about that. But even non-Christian cultural analysts agree that our culture is marked by rampant consumerism. And some have commented that the dominant religious alternative to Christianity in America, it's not atheism, it's not Islam, it's not Buddhism, it's actually consumerism. That that is the main thing that we compete with. And, you know, I just, again, in my own life know that I think we partake in it and it, we actually contribute to this more than we realize. Because when you're in the middle of a culture, you don't know it till you, till you get out of it. You don't see it. And so I think a lot of times the way we do Christmas season is we're actually showing to people and even teaching our children or grandchildren or our the friends around us that we're more interested in the American dream than in God's dream. And so I just want us to reflect on that today. Um, and I want to look into the Christmas story, the thing that so moves Scott. I want to look at, briefly delve into its essence, and it's in John chapter 3. Would you guys stand and read this with me? This is the word of the Lord. Again, the only thing infallible that will be said this morning, 
is the word from God. And this translation I've kind of done, um, so if it seems a little strange in some ways, uh, sometimes new things speak to us differently. And the words in red that you're going to see are actually taken a lot from John 1. John, John 3 is referencing John 1 a lot, but I don't have time to do that. So would you read with me? No man has gone up to heaven, but the Son of Man, whose home is in heaven, has come down from heaven. Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. It is the same with the Son of Man. The Son of Man must be lifted up too. Then everyone who believes in him can have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave the one and only Son. God gave the Son so that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to save the world through Him. He who believes in Him is judged not guilty. He who does not believe has already been judged guilty because he has not believed in God's Son, the one and only. People are judged by this fact. The light has come into the world, but men did not want light. They wanted darkness because they were doing evil things. Everyone who does evil hates the light. He will not come to the light because it will show all the evil things he has done. But he who follows the true way comes to the light. And this is the word of God. You may be seated. Um, let me just show this to you in a diagram form. God loved the world in this way. That word so, by the way, doesn't mean so, like so much, but it means in this way in the Greek. God loved the world in this way. Out of his heart for love, Jesus left his home, heaven, came to earth, to our home, for one purpose, to be lifted up. Can you imagine? I think that's what Scott, you were so moved by, right? He left his home of shalom and perfectness, perfect relation with the Father, the Spirit, and that eternal community came to earth, to our home, to a world of suffering where he suffered to be lifted up, to be crucified. And he did this so that when we come to him in faith, that he will one day lift me up from my home when I pass on to his home, heaven, and eventually to new creation. I didn't have space to stick that in there. So his, his, his heart was love coming to give and to sacrifice, to be lifted up, so that his desire to save would be fulfilled, which is that if I come to him, that he will one day lift me up. Isn't that a powerful message? That's the core of our message in the words of 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was rich, he made himself poor for your sake in order to make you rich by means of his poverty. He became poor to make us rich. 
Jesus took on downward mobility so that he could give us some upward mobility. And our world's not much about downward mobility, right? The, the way the Christmas season is portrayed in our culture, is it about downward mobility or is it upward mobility? Is it less stuff or more stuff? Downward or upward? And is it focused on others and giving sacrificially? And is it focused on people coming to know this Savior so they can one day be lifted up? I think not. I think everything about Christmas that we live and breathe in the air out there is about our upward mobility and, you know, more stuff and all of that, right? The, con the opposite of what Jesus was about. So I want to give you three words. Um, if you're like a note taker, there's a bulletin insert that has this. And we're going to refer to that insert in a minute. Yeah, Jesus' story stands in stark contrast to our culture, our consumer culture. And the opposite of consumerism is three things, I would say. Creating, contributing, and caring. Consuming, our consumer culture, and what Christmas is for a lot of us is just is more stuff for me or more stuff for my own, right? Get more stuff for my own or more stuff for me. But the opposite of consumerism is creating, contributing, and caring. If I had more time, I would show you this through the Scripture. It's, it's actually quite fascinating that in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates, contributes. I could tell you how He does that. And Psalm 104 talks about His ongoing care of His creation. He creates Adam and Eve. If you would study, I've talked before about the cultural mandate in Genesis 1. And then in Genesis 2 where it's revealed, and in Genesis 4, where we see that they were created to contribute, to work the garden, to care for it, to care, and to create. Genesis 4, you see them creating music and lots of things, okay? So we were created not to be consumers, but to be those who create and contribute and care, just as God creates and contributes and cares. I do want to say one thing about this. In Genesis 1 and 2... We are created, I mean, we're dependent on God, right? We, we cannot live by ourselves. So we do have to consume because he creates food for us. So you do need to consume. So I'm not going to totally trash consuming because, I mean, after, after this morning, we're going to go somewhere with a friend for lunch and we're going to consume some Applebee's food probably or something. So, I mean, we are humans, so consuming is part of our nature, but we, but we are not to have a lifestyle of consuming. Does that make sense? To where consuming is the dominant thing of our life. Jesus, John 1 is the creator. John 3, he comes to contribute. John 10, he is the shepherd who cares. So Jesus comes to show us how humanity should be, the creator who comes to give sacrificially and to care as the model of what we're to be, and then we as the church are to embody Jesus' message, the message of Advent, to where we are people who are creators, contributors, and who care. Does that make sense? Philippians 2, which is our model. Again, the story of Jesus. He, the story of Christmas, the true story of Christmas. He, being in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but rather... He made himself nothing, took on the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. So you see, the story of Jesus is the story of downward mobility, of creating, contributing, and uh, I almost said consuming, <laughs> caring. And we're told in Philippians 2, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So that's what it is. Yeah. Interestingly, I wish I could say a lot. I, I wish I had time. Let me see. This like that and that. Let me see that and that. C.S. Lewis is the closest thing to Scripture, right, Scott? I mean, after... This is what C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letter says about Satan. To, okay, this is representing kind of Satan writing letters to a demon, right, who's, a, who's attacking a Christian. To us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is, to, is the absorption of its will into our being, the increase of our own area of selfhood at the expense of others. We want cattle who can finally become food that we can consume. He wants servants, but he wants servants who can fully become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over with love. So as C.S. Lewis says, Satan is all about consuming, consuming, and he wants to consume every human being and everything God has created and destroy it. But God is not about consuming, but is about, is about giving. And in that story in Genesis 3, you know, this is really fascinating, that that temptation to sin, it's, multi, it's complex and multifaceted, but do you realize that part of that sin was a sin of consuming? Do you know that? Because he takes something God had created, and they were created to eat, and God had said, you can have all of this, everything in this garden, but this one thing you can't have. And Satan takes that one thing and he says, look how good this looks. Wouldn't this be good to consume, to have? Because actually the truth is that he doesn't want you to know is a true, deep, meaningful, full life is in this one thing. That if you would just have one more thing, just one more thing, your life would be full and meaningful, right? One more thing. If you could just have one more thing. Because he's hiding the true life from you. Because true life is not found in relationship to him, but in consuming just one more thing. And it says that they took it and they said it looked really good for food. And they consumed. So do you realize even in that first sin, there was an overreaching and consuming. And then the world is all about consuming. First John 2 says that the three main areas of our sin are the desire to have everything we see, right? The, what's it called in the King James? The, the something of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, the desire to have everything we see, more, 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 like the Sears catalog, more, 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 you know, here, mom, more, 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 and, you know, handing her the, the pages. The, the, what the King James called the lust of the flesh, the, de, the desire to have physical, more and more physical pleasure, and then the pride of life, to be proud of everything I have and do. That consumption is, it's, it's what the world is all about. This desire to have everything I see and to experience everything, to have all this, this pleasure upon myself. So, but we are not called to do that. We are called to model our lives after Jesus, our Savior, the one on whom Advent is about, by creating, contributing, and caring. So, 
I want to say this, that I think the best way to honor Jesus and the essence of this season of Advent is to resist the consumerism of this age. I think that is the best way to honor Jesus and to celebrate Advent. And I, I want to recommend two kinds of things to help doing that. Disciplines, first, disciplines of intentionality that undermine distraction. Because isn't, isn't this the busiest month of the year? Doesn't it feel like it? So many Christmas parties and Christmas parties. And, blah, 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 and you just get running and running and running and it doesn't end. And you don't have time to stop and to think about daily what is the meaning of this season, right? So I think we need disciplines that help us remember that undermine distraction. And I think we need disciplines of intentionality that undermine consumerism. Instead of consuming, that get us creating and contributing and caring. And so that's what I want to talk about for a while. There is, in your, the bulletin thing, there is an insert. It's not this big. I, this is my whole page. And what I've done is I've talked to several people and done some reflecting. And I want to offer some disciplines. And um, some ways that we can do these two things. And as we do this, I just want to say one thing. Um, I'm not here to harangue anybody, okay? I'm not here to beat us up about consumerism. And I hope you don't feel that way. Because I'm really talking to myself. Um, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating and being festive. That's the point of celebrating the coming of Christ. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts to people we love. Um, so, that, don't take me as being hyper-negative, okay? But here's what I want to challenge us. Let's live in this season in such a way that it reinforces the Christmas story in our hearts and lives, and in the hearts of lives of those who live with us, be it roommates or children who live with us, and who watch us, and who learn, learn more from what we do than from what we say, Right? They learn more from what we do than what we say. They learn more from us if we're really living the American dream in December or if we're living God's dream of saving the world through sacrifice. All right, so let's hit some of these. Um, couple of, some, so first, disciplines that I think help us remember. Advent wreath is a great one. Um, Lisa Hubner does this every year, and they're back there today if you want to do... I mean, ad, this is not an Advent wreath. <laughs> this is an Advent wreath. <laughs> Advent wreath or Jesse tree, and Lisa does have this. Um, I just want to give you a glimpse into our family tradition and life. So come on up, guys. Um, I never saw this kind of thing. Grew up, when I became a believer, the church I was in was very low church. I mean, we didn't do anything that smacked of high church or formalism. When I went to seminary in Virginia... The church we attended, the first Sunday of Advent, they did this thing, and I had never seen it, and it was very meaningful to me, so much so, Pat and I went out and bought a wood thing, and we, it wasn't even intended for this, and we ended up creating this, and this has been in our family the whole time. So today is the second Sunday of Advent. So, microphone, thank you. Go through the gates. Make the way ready for the people. Build up the road. Move all the stones off the road. Raise the banner as a sign for the people. The Lord is speaking to all the faraway lands. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your Savior is coming. He is bringing your reward to you. He is bringing his payment with him. 
His people will be called the holy people, the saved people of the Lord. Isaiah 62, 10 through 12. We light the second candle in appreciation and thanksgiving for God's great love revealed in the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke 2, 22 to 32. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to represent him to the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus for him to do what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. So, just as the prophets announced with a loud and unified voice the coming of the Messiah and of a new and wonderful age, so we too announce the coming of the King. Just as God sent the angel Gabriel to announce the fulfillment of all of his promises through Jesus, so we too are sent to announce that good, God, that God's wondrous kingdom, it is here and it is now. And we shout, let every heart prepare him room. And then we sing a song when we do this. And Tim and Christy are actually going to help us out with this today because you don't want to hear me sing a song. Uh, Nate, you might want to mute me for a minute. Uh, And please join us. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to bed.
Let us pray. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and to prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Oh, we got one more thing to do. Yeah, so we do this every Sunday of the Advent, this kind of more formal. And then every night, we just simply light the candles, whatever correspond, and do the Advent. I mean, the Jesse tree. I'm getting these all confused. And Ariel, I think it's your turn to do today's. We started with uh, creation, and yesterday was the fall, sin. By the way, the a Jesse tree, the first half tells the Old Testament story leading to Messiah. The second half tells the story of Jesus. And again, it's just to keep us daily focused on what's the point of the season. So go ahead. I guess you need the microphone, don't you? So we started with creation and then the fall of man. And then this is the rainbow, which obviously is the covenant that God gave to Noah. But... In this, it represents the downward spiral of humanity and the increasing darkness of our hearts and the need for a plan for redemption. Good job. Thank you, guys. And that's just something we do every day. And if I let Ariel do this, she's like, she likes, do you want to do it? <laughs> Watch this. That is amazing. That, that was the best part of the service was that right there. I'm still too chicken to do that. <laughs> By the way, if you want to know what the next thing is after the, the rainbow, it's burnt pizza. <laughs> That's supposed to represent Abraham and the stars, but uh, when my kids were little, my, my brother came over one day and was visiting. We did that that night, and he goes, what's that, burnt pizza? So now, now in our family, that's burnt pizza night, so... Uh, Ann Voskamp, my wife just told me yesterday, has a book out, by the way, that that leads children through this if you're interested. Um, and let me just tell you what, as I'm going through these, here's my intent. I want to ask you to pick just one, at least one discipline to help you remember the point of the season, to pick one discipline to make you more contributing and caring and creating, and one discipline that is making you perhaps Give by one less gift for here and instead giving a little bit more out there. So I want to ask you to pick three things. That's something you can do today. Um, so Advent Reed, Jesse Tree. Another way of remembering is a daily devotional. Scott Waters gave this to me as a gift about a month ago, and we have started this. It's very powerful. Are you doing it, Scott? Yeah, really powerful. I wish I could read yesterday's reading because it so fits today. Jesus, who was the willing coming to die for us who are unwilling. Um, it was really very powerful. Um, 
Let me see. Yeah, close the day with a Christmas carol and prayer. We always do that when we do this each night. We do the Jesse tree, sing a carol, pray to keep our focus. Um, this, is, this one's a little radical, but I know a family who just gives like one gift on Christmas and they give the rest of their, the gift giving day is actually January 6th, which is a day of epiphany, the day traditionally the, the wise men came and gave gifts. And this family does that because they found that as a child, their whole focus on Christmas was the gift thing. That was the thing that consumed their thinking as a child because children don't process well. And so they said, let's get the gifts on mainly on January 6th and make Christmas about Jesus more. So that one's a little radical, but grandma and grandpa might not like that, but, but uh, so what? <laughs> okay. Sorry, grandma and grandpa. Uh, be a bell ringer for the salvation. Oh, now, sorry. Now we're moving into disciplines of, of, of undermining consumerism, okay? Be a bell ringer for Salvation Army. Uh, Hobby Lobby is taken by the Forsyths because they have, their, their bell thing is indoor in the lobby where it's warm and everybody else is cold outside. So, so we, we took all the days. No, just <laughs> suffer when you do it. Go to Rebels or something, you know, Country Mart. Do it in the freezing cold. Uh, sponsor a red kettle doubler day for Salvation Army. Some people in our church, some businessmen actually did this. They said the donations for that day and the kettles, we're going to double it up to $1,000. Um, visit someone in a nursing home. If you know Ranny Vote, go visit Ranny. A few years ago, we didn't have Christmas at Bear Trap. We had to move it up a few days. And we were here and we went and saw Ranny. And it was a pretty meaningful time, except that my brother broke something in his room. But other than that, Ranny loved it, other than the thing we broke. <laughs> It was kind of a meaningful thing too, wasn't it? I don't remember what it was. Anyways, <laughs> go caroling, delivering car you know, cookies to nursing home residents. Go caroling in your neighborhood with a small group of people. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. I, I remember when I was a kid when people came to our house caroling, that was really meaningful. So give more time to those you love by cutting out one holiday event. So this year say... I'm going to, we're going to, instead of being so crazy busy, we're gonna, that one of our five Christmas parties, we're going to cut one out and just spend time as a family. So just cut one thing out. That's an idea. Um, everyone, here's one I just heard about recently. For, during Advent, off electronic devices one hour before bed for relational time. So like everybody goes to bed at 10, you know, at 9, everybody sets their devices down and it's maybe reading a book or relational time. Invite someone who would be alone into your home for Christmas or serve together as a family or group friends. I think there's some ideas on here. Um, food for students, packing night is December 13th. That's a possibility. And then, then it says, instead of giving so many gifts to those you love, um, and again, there's nothing wrong with giving, but we don't want to create little consumers. Do you know that? I think we should be really careful and here's why I feel that way, because I grew up unchurched, and all Christmas was about to me was opening presents. That's all it was about. And it's interesting, even as a little kid, halfway through the day after playing with everything 20 times, halfway through the day, I would start to feel a little bit empty as a kid, because things don't fill our heart, right? Only God does. So let's, let's work at not creating in our family a culture where the kids, it's all about presence and that, because I'm telling you, you're going to raise kids that have that emptiness, okay? I'm not saying don't give gifts, but, so instead of giving, maybe cutting back a little bit, um, 
and doing something like this, doing Instead of doing a, a gift for the kids, do a Christmas bag for Navidad con Jesus. Jesus, is that right? Okay. I, I was afraid I was going to say like con carne, but I didn't. <laughs> Here's some pictures of that. Or do Christmas shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. You don't, they don't have to be against each other. The church used to do this. We do both of those, the con Jesus, and we do this one. Carissa, when she was in Albania last year, one day... The Operation Christmas Child people showed up at her small village, small village, with Christmas boxes. They took them to a school and gave them to the kids. And the Operation Christmas Child, they will take those kids and then they get them involved in a Bible study program that meets to get them in the Word and then to get parents into the church. There are very few church people in Albania. And so in that village, there started a Bible study group for children from, from that. It's not just the gift, but it actually gets them in the Word. Um, pretty cool. And same thing with Mexico. There's follow-up and all of that. A uh, few more things. Yeah, spend money for a Christmas gift for your compassion. So instead of giving something to all your kids, not again, you can give them some stuff, but say, I'm gonna, we're going to do one less this year, and we're going to spend that money to buy stuff. This is Leonidas, our compassion child for the international class, and this is stuff we got their family one year for Christmas, sent a gift um, make cookies for the Beto Junction, give each other a gift that benefits those in poverty. Um, this is something we started doing, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Um, Samaritan's Purse, well, what are those? International Justice Mission, Compassion. There's a bunch of these that have these gift catalogs, and inside are things like, you, you know, for 14 bucks is chickens, and so instead of, like, we would draw names of who's going to give, and, and we got to where instead of Carissa, if she draws Karen, instead of buying Karen a gift, what she would do is she would donate money and buy him, buy chickens in his name. That sounds kind of funny, but it's actually kind of meaningful. So you just go through these, and you just cut it out, you put it in their, their card, and then when they open it on Christmas, it's like, oh, I gave chickens to some kid or whatever. Um, but that's just an idea. Somebody recommended, they said, I think Lisa, at the beginning of the Advent season, give your children, say this year, instead of five gifts, we're going to do four, and one of them, I'm going to give you a 10 or a $20 bill, but I want you to use this to bless somebody. You give it to somebody or use it to buy something for somebody in Advent. Great idea. Lisa, thank you. Uh, somebody recommended tithing your Christmas spending. Whatever you spend on gifts, make it 90%, that 10% give away to some charity. Send it to a missionary. Missionaries need, trust me, most are underfunded, and a Christmas gift is really great. comes at a great time of year. Give a $10 Starbucks card or, or a gift card to the children, like your family, instead of gifts. Do that, and then say, go spend an hour with, you know, they draw names, and Carissa, you take Karen for an hour this year sometime. Does that make sense? Something like that, so it becomes a relational. Or give or donate help to a local ministry or charity. Um, and then there's some other resources at the end um, Ariel found this really cool the other day stewardship.org.uk some other ideas about Advent but there's other ideas on here I just challenge you to pick one thing and to, uh, to make your Christmas less consumeristic and less the focus in your house about tons of gifts but your children even learning that some of their gifts are actually things given to others does that make sense? I want to end with two videos that Nate's going to play.
many of us, Christmas is a time of giving, to hold some of our spirit in.
hey, let's have an Advent conspiracy this year. You want to do it? Let's do it. And it's not meant to be dour. This is not, I hope you didn't take this as dour. This way of creating, contributing, caring is the true path to joy and knowing Jesus. So it's, it doesn't make a sadder Advent. It makes an actually more deeper, richer, more meaningful Advent season. I hope don't feel overwhelmed by this. Just go look through it. Pick out one from the three different sections and do it. Um, the point is not really to overwhelm. So let's worship fully. Let's spend less. Let's give more. And let's all. This Christmas season, let's live less as people who are anchored to this earth. And let's live more as pilgrim people who follow the Jesus who gave, keeping our focus on Him and on His mission. Let's use this Advent not to pursue the American dream, but to live for God's dream of giving and sacrificing for people of all nations to know Him. Can we become that kind of community? That's my challenge for this Advent. Let's stand. And let me pray. Father, as we leave today, I pray that we would have some space in our life today to really think about this Advent season. I pray that we would all become part of a conspiracy at 12th Avenue where we are not going to live into so much of the cultural story, the American dream, but this year we're going to live more into your story and we're going to remember it. We're going to do something every day to remember it and we're going to do some things to to like be giving, consuming less as a family and to be contrib- creating and contributing and caring more for those around us. So we want to be a community that embodies you and that looks like you and represents you to a world that's starving and that's so empty this time of year and who needs the message of your hope. And I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed. Oh, what did it say? Conspiracy.